City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. What should we do? And the end of verse 5 says, avoid such men as these. Very simple. That's the command. Avoid them. The Greek word avoid carries with it the idea of avoiding someone with horror. It is a fearful thing. It, it, it's not just avoid them. It's not, it's not just turn away from them. It's fear them. Be afraid of them. You and I are to fear people like this. We are to fear them so much that we'll run from them. Why? Why? Why should we be afraid of them? Because you may be their next target. They're after you. They're after me. Who is it that the Apostle Paul warned us about? In a nutshell, fake Christians. People who go through the motions, dress the right way, and come to church regularly, but are really lovers of self. The world is full of people who are lovers of self, and the Bible clearly tells us that we need to engage with them in order to share the gospel. But when people who love only themselves creep into the church and try to pass themselves off as Christ followers while living lives of immorality and disobedience, we are not to hang out with them. We'll delve into that subject more deeply today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and he's taking us verse by verse through 2 Timothy chapter 3. Our study series is called Surviving in Difficult Times. Paul cautioned Timothy that there would be difficult times in the church. They're unavoidable. They are also survivable. In verses 2 through 4 of this chapter, Paul gave a list of moral attributes that apply to the kinds of people who tend to stir up trouble in the church. He didn't pull any punches. He said, For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. A whole lot of people fall into at least one of those categories. So who is it exactly that we need to be on the lookout for? Here's Pastor Steve to help us more clearly identify those whom we should avoid. Verse 5 tells us a way to a mark of identifying them. Not only are they lovers of self, but they're religious. They are religious. Verse 5 says, holding to a form of godliness. Holding to a form of godliness. That is to say, they appear outwardly to be godly and religious. That's their outward appearance, holding to a form and appearance of godliness. Not that they are godly, but they appear to be. That's the outward form and manifestation. I don't know exactly what Paul had in mind, how they, how they uh, precisely appeared to be godly. My guess is that their religious speculative discussions gave an appearance that they were godly. They would speak about the Old Testament. They would speak about genealogies. That's what he says in the first book uh, of Timothy, First Timothy, that they're into speculative knowledge. I would assume then that they went around spouting off things that they didn't know what they were uh, talking about, but they were uh, confident in these assertions that they made, and people were impressed with them. They would use Old Testament language. They would use biblical phrases. They would use some of the theological terms we might use. However, 
that's an outward show. Then 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says, Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. I put this together and I take it that these men went along and they said, Look how spiritual we are. We're not getting married. And we're telling you, you should not get married. And things like that. And what's more, we eat the right kind of foods. We stay away from pork. We stay away from this kind of food. We stay away from, from Old Testament foods that God said Israel was not to have. And therefore, don't we appear to look godly? That's an outward form. That has nothing to do with spirituality. Paul made it very clear what you eat and what you don't. In fact, he went on to say that in 1 Timothy 4. What you eat and what you don't eat has nothing to do with spirituality. And getting married or not getting married, according to 1 Corinthians 7, has absolutely nothing to do with spirituality. That's not the issue at all. Those are external things, not internal. Spirituality is a matter of the heart, not what you wear or what you don't wear, not what you eat or what you don't eat. None of those things. Spirituality is being controlled by the Spirit of God. It is internal, it is not external. However, these people were the type who went along and tried to impress people by their outward appearance. Now, that's not unusual. That's not unusual to have people who are corrupt on the inside but appear to be outwardly pious. That is not unusual. That's the deceitfulness of Satan. And uh, that takes place, that has taken place throughout the history of the church. In fact, it goes beyond the church. It goes back to Israel's time. If you look at Isaiah chapter 1, you'll see that this, this is the problem the prophets faced. You had people in, uh, in Israel who were doing these outward conforming to, to God's laws, but inwardly their heart was, was corrupt. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14, the prophet, God speaking through him, says this, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. Why would God say, I hate, I hate these things? God gave them the appointed feasts. However, God says, I, I hate what you're doing. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Now, isn't that interesting? Here they were doing the feast that God said to do. They were praying. Is there anything wrong with prayer? Not in and of itself. But God said, you weary me. I'm burdened because of you. Why? Because your hands, at the end of verse 15, your hands are full of bloodshed. You kill, but outwardly you're religious on Sundays. Or in this case, on Saturdays. Or on any other day. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. That's the problem. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. I mean, the problem was they were outwardly religious, but inwardly corrupt. Can you think of another group like that? Sure, the Pharisees. Pharisees were like that. Jesus said, you are outwardly clean, but inwardly dirty. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said something very, very interesting about the Pharisees. Now, not all Pharisees were like this, but generally speaking, they were. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are hypocrites. Why? 
For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of robbery and self-indulgence. That is to say, their primary concern was to keep the ceremonial laws and, and to have clean cups, and they didn't want to defile themselves outwardly. And Jesus said, but inside you're corrupt. Inside you're wicked. Here you are making sure that the utensils that you drink from and eat from are clean, but your heart is filthy. See, it is not unusual to have people who appear to be religious and yet are extremely wicked on the inside. In fact, that appearance is a cover-up for the true reality. You have that today even with believers. You have that with believers who, uh, uh, in fact, it's very dangerous when you hear a man, not always the case, but when you hear a man who preaches on something and is hard on an issue all the time, many times that man has that very sin in his life. Many times, if you hear a man pre, and I'm not saying this is all the time, obviously, but if you hear a man who week after week after week harps and harps and harps only on something like immorality, many times it's discovered that in his own life, there's immorality. I'm not sure exactly why that is. Uh, The deceitfulness of sin, um, perhaps a cover-up. But there are many people who, who try to cover up for the lack of spirituality in their own life by outwardly appearing to be very spiritual. These people here tried to appear to be saved, but they weren't. They were wicked. And there are people today in churches all over America and all over the world who are meticulous in their attendance, in their giving. They could outgive many people. They are, here, they are at a church every Sunday. They, they sometimes pastor a church. Sometimes they're on a board. Sometimes they've been elders in a church. Sometimes they are elders in a church or deacons. Sometimes they teach Sunday school, but they don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. They're lovers of self. In Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul wrote, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. I mean, their life shows that they don't know him. They profess to know him, but their life shows obviously they don't know him. Why? Because they are lovers of self. They're only Christian in outward appearance. Inside, they're still pagans. They're pagans. Look at the rest of verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. The although is very important. What he's saying there, they, they outwardly look like a Christian. They talk like Christians. They claim to be Christians, but they have denied the very power of the gospel. The gospel has never transformed their life. Regeneration means by its very definition, the life of God has come into us made us alive. We have become alive, as Dennis has led us in that, in that song. He liked it so much this morning, we sang it again tonight. Alive, alive. Born again or born from above means that the life of God has come into you. You have been regenerated. You have become alive again. And that life in us is the, is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel. It is Christ himself. But these people have never experienced salvation. They have denied the very power that makes a person godly. Uh, the gospel transforms us. It makes us clean and changed on the inside. That's why our outward behavior is different. We don't reform ourselves. We don't philosophize. We don't come up with a set of rules. That's legalism. True spirituality is I have been changed on the inside by the Spirit of God. I have been made new in Christ. Therefore, my life will evidence that. That's his point. They have denied that. They have outward show of religion without the internal reality. They have form without power. Form without power. 
Now, look, that's the problem we face in, in the church today. People who claim to be Christians, who speak about God, outwardly they look good, they appear holy, but they are fakes. They are deceivers. They are pagans in Christian uh, appearance. They do what they do for show. They want to impress people, not because it arises out of a heart that has been redeemed, out of a heart that loves Christ, out of a heart that wants to obey because the Word of God says it, and that's why I want to do it. No, they do it to show people how wonderful they are. Remember, these are the people, in case you you question that, these are the people, going back to verse 2, who are lovers of self. They care about one thing and only one thing themselves. They don't care about the Lord. That's the difference between uh, true Christians and the unsaved. True Christians struggle with loving self. Non-Christians don't struggle with it. They just love self. There's only one reason they do things, and that's to look good. All of us struggle with doing things to look good. However, there is another motive added to that, and that's that we want to obey the Lord. But with unbelievers, there is no struggle. There is no other motive. That's it. Just self. Now, what do we do with people like this? What should we do? And the end of verse 5 says, avoid such men as these. It's very simple. That's the command. Avoid them. The Greek word avoid carries with it the idea of avoiding someone with horror. It is a fearful thing. It, it, it's not just avoid them. It's not, it's not just turn away from them. It's fear them. Be afraid of them. You and I are to fear people like this. We are to fear them so much that we'll run from them. Why? Why? Why should we be afraid of them? Because you may be their next target. They're after you. They're after me. But before we look at that, I want you to keep in mind something. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is not saying avoid everyone who doesn't know Christ. If that were the case, then you'd have to uh, go up on a high mountain and never see any, anyone who doesn't know the Lord. Just kind of get out of society. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a very helpful passage. Paul wrote in verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean uh, with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? He's speaking here about church discipline, and his point is, when, and he's just told them to put a man out of the church who is having a, a sexual affair with either his stepmother or his mother-in-law or something of that nature. We're not quite sure, uh, but it was something perverted like that. And Paul's point is this, when I tell you not to associate and have fellowship with uh, someone who's in immorality, I'm not talking about everybody in the world. I am talking only about those who claim to be Christians, whether they are Christians or not, is another story. If they identify with the church and associate with the church, you are not to have an association with them. That's his point. Because he's saying, don't misunderstand me. If you think that I'm telling you not to associate with with, uh, immoral people, in general, then you might as well not be able to associate with anybody because Corinth was a uh, wicked place. Everybody, it seems, was into immorality, just like in our world. So I want you to understand when Paul says avoid them, he is not saying avoid everybody who doesn't, who doesn't know Christ. Then you'd have to go out of the world. You have to get to another planet. 
You can't do that. However, what he is talking about are wicked, religious-appearing people who are in the church, whether they know Christ or not. At this point, is not even the issue. The point is they claim to, but their, their lives betray them. Don't associate with these people. They are people who we must avoid and not fellowship with. Now, let me balance this off. This does not mean that you are to be rude to them. This does not mean if you are walking down the corridor and they're in a church that you turn your back on them and you don't say hi to them. Because if you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, remember he said the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind, be gentle, be nice to people. This is no uh, license to be rude and unkind when he says avoid them. Remember, there are opportunities that, uh, that avail themselves where you can sit down with someone who's like this and graciously and lovingly correct them and explain the truth to them in a very nice manner. But what he is saying is, is don't fellowship with them. Stay clear of them. Don't make them your close friends. Don't even make them your friends. Why? Why? Because you're their target. You're their target. Verse 6. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. I am not saying by this that everyone here is a weak woman. I am saying, though, that these evil-hearted religionists actually seek converts who will believe their stuff and will follow them. And they prey upon weak-willed women. And, the, and at least in my mind, the thought is so they can get to the whole family after them. But the point here is that they are described as entering into households. They have a methodology. They have a scheme. They know what they're doing. These false religionists know what they're doing. They are entering into households. The word enter doesn't mean they just enter. You might get that from the English, but the Greek means to creep. They creep along. They are secretive. They are sly. They are cunning. Uh, They are, are not direct they are not open. That's the thought here. They, they creep in. They, they worm their way into someone's home during the daytime, and they prey upon women. In fact, in Jude verse 4, the same term is used for uh, uh, false teachers who creep into the church unaware. Or at least we're not aware of them. They creep in. So they gain access into a home by sneaking in dishonestly. They aren't up front. They aren't honest. They don't let you know what their true intentions are. And what are their true intentions? To make converts. To make converts. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various lusts. To captivate women. Their strategy is to capture certain women. Like a prisoner of war. Weak women. This is their goal. This is their strategy. They know what they're doing. They, would, they visit homes when the husband is not there. Now, Paul is not suggesting that all women are weak or all women are, are silly. I think that's how the King James says it, silly women. Nor is he suggesting that, that uh, there are men who are not weak. But what he is saying, that the strategy of the false teachers in Ephesus, and this is a general principle throughout history, was to concentrate their attention on a certain type of woman. She's, she's described here as a weak woman. Uh, that really doesn't exactly uh, describe the Greek. It is a, uh, means silly. Uh, it's a contemptuous type of expression. It means a weak-minded woman. Paul explains what, is, what he means by a weak woman. 
She's weighed down with sins and she's led on by various impulses. She is morally weak. She is burdened with guilt. She's a woman who cannot control her passions. I don't know if he's limiting it just to sexual passions. It just means that that here's a guilt-ridden, burdened woman. Women who are morally weak, burdened with sin and controlled by their desires. That's the thought here. And these false teachers come in and they play upon their feelings of guilt. You must understand that's the strategy. They play upon their feelings of guilt. These women, let me just give a picture of what a woman like this would be like. And understand, Paul's not saying all women are like this. But there are women like this and there are men like this as well. But this type of woman is unstable. Perhaps she's even neurotic. She's unstable. She's prone perhaps to depression over her guilt. She, uh, she doesn't know what to do about her guilt. She's easy prey for some religious quack who can satisfy, now listen, satisfy her desire for religion without calling her to forsake her sin. She is open prey for anybody who gives her a, or tells her there's a cure for your problem. That's the point. They take advantage of these unstable, neurotic, uh, depression-prone women, and they offer them easy solutions to their problems. Remember, they're morally weak. Now, they don't deal with sin, and they don't speak about the cross, and they don't deal with salvation. They deal with things that these women want to hear. I can be relieved from my problems. An easy way out. They're the kind of women who would listen to anybody. They want a way out of their feelings of guilt. They'll listen to anybody, and they will listen and listen and listen and listen. And that's why verse 7 says, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They will sit there hour after hour and let these religious quacks tell them all about how wonderful their religion is and how much freedom they can give and and all of these things. And they will listen and listen, but they will never come to a knowledge of the truth. Why? Because though they have a restless quest to be delivered from their problems, they would try any novel teaching that might help them. But the teaching that they're hearing is not the gospel because these religious people are not giving them the gospel. They'll embrace every new heretical fad that comes down the pike. However, they won't hear the truth, and so they will not come to the knowledge of the truth. And you've met people like this. You've met people like this. I've met women like this. I've met men like this. They'll gravitate to anything. Anybody who tells them something that they want to hear. They are unstable women. Easy prey for door-to-door religious hucksters. That's, that's what he's saying. So we have morally weak women who are open to any doctrine, and the propagandists creep into their homes, and they feed them error, and they grab them because they, they, they grab hold of this because they think it will, it will uh, appease their conscience. It'll help ease their conscience. But they've never grappled with the real problem, and that is to forsake their sin and trust the Savior. Their problem is sin. But they're not going to embrace the Savior. They're not going to hear about him. In fact, they really don't want to hear about them. They want to hold on to their sin, and they want a religion that doesn't deal with sin and a religion that doesn't deal with eternal punishment. They capture weak women. Oh, my. Does that remind you of some of the big names in TV and radio preaching these days? People who preach a health and wealth gospel or name it, claim it. Remember the I'm okay, you're okay fad? There are people who teach that we need to learn to love and accept ourselves, and then we can be happy. It reminds me of a conversation in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. When the hobbits first met Aragorn, 
or Strider as they called him, Sam was very distrustful because Aragorn had rather a foul look to him. Once Sam decided that Strider was okay, he said, You have frightened me several times tonight, but never in the way that servants of the enemy would, or so I imagine. I think one of his spies would, well, seem fairer and feel fouler, if you understand. (laughs) Aragorn understood. And so it is with the false teachers who creep into our churches and homes. Compared to their silky smooth and soothing words, the gospel sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop in some Sunday if you're nearby. Lakeside is at 1893 Sunset Point Road. Service times are on the website, lakesidechapel.com. Or call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or visit lakesidechapel.com. All of us at Verse by Verse appreciate the generous gifts that help us pay for the costs of producing these daily Bible classes and the additional costs of putting them on the air. You're an essential component of this ministry. Thank you. If perhaps you've been listening for a while and you're thinking, yeah, these programs have really helped me become a stronger Christian, well, maybe you'd like to ask the Lord if He wants you to join our support team. We have a short guide for giving on our website, along with a page where you can give securely and easily online. The web address is versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. The enemy of our souls is a smooth talker, and so are his servants who slither into our churches or come knocking at our